All right. Our second scripture reading is this, a story that we all know and have heard. So we're going to listen to it again, hopefully with fresh ears. Let us, it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who's been born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From you shall come a ruler who is a shepherd who will shepherd my people. When Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word so I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out And there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They left for their own country by another road. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. Five-year-old Christopher was sitting in the balcony at church during the Christmas pageant. It was one of those elaborate, over-choreographed musical extravaganzas with live animals at the nativity, sets and props and lights and directors and costume designers. But being five, it didn't hold Christopher's attention for long. And as he began to lose interest, he started playing with the hymnals and the pew racks and scribbling on the attendance pad. His father, like all parents, wanted him to watch wanted him to see and understand the story, but Christopher was not the least bit interested. So as the wise wise men began marching down the center aisle towards the manger, his father leaned over and whispered, Christopher, look, you're missing it. Here comes the king. Christopher jumped out of his seat, looked over the balcony railing with his eyes wide and said, that's Elvis? And just as a side note, I learned that today is Elvis's birthday, so unintentional callback. Today, well, technically Friday, was Epiphany on the Christian calendar. And just a heads up, according to the song, that's the day when your true love should have delivered 12 drummers drumming, which would not have helped your headache after the piping pipers and leaping lords and half a dozen geese laying eggs and who knows what all over your house. Epiphany is the 12th night of Christmas, which is obviously where we get the song. 
And in our liturgical tradition, Epiphany celebrates the visit of the Magi or the wise men or the three kings to the Christ child. Matthew, interestingly enough, is the only gospel writer who tells this story. But even his version is pretty sparse on detail. So where the text is silent, artists and preachers and carolers throughout the years have filled in the blanks with their own details. For instance, Matthew says only that there were wise men from the east. But in our imaginations, we have promoted them to kings with royal robes and impressive crowns and turbans. Matthew also never tells us how many visitors there actually are. But since there were three gifts, somewhere along the line, someone decided that, well, there must have been three of them. For all we know, there might have been 10 or 16 or 127. We don't really know. Somebody a few years back suggested that there were probably actually four kings, but the fourth one brought a fruitcake, so he was kicked out. (laughs) There's even a thread of the tradition that speculates that the three wise men might have actually been three wise women, but that that theory got shot down pretty quick. Because if the wise men had been wise women, they would have asked for directions and arrived on time. And as Meredith pointed out, they would have brought gifts that would have actually helped, like diapers and bottles and blankets. Seriously though, the ever-growing legend of this story has even provided names for these men. Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Men of different races, nationalities, and even skin colors. The legend goes on to suggest that these three kings had a three kings reunion in the year of 54 AD. And according to the story, they all met in Armenia to celebrate, the, to celebrate Christmas. And then all three died. Melchior on January 1st, Balthazar on January 6th, and Gaspar on January 11th. These are all interesting details, but they're all details we have supplied. None of them are part of Matthew's original story. Here's what we do know. The wise men, or magi, came from the east, mostly likely present-day Iraq or Iran. In the ancient world, the east was considered the home of all wisdom. These wise men were Arabs, which means they did not come from Israel. They're non-Jews, they're outsiders. They're Gentiles in a Jewish story. Scholars generally, generally agree that Matthew's gospel is the most Jewish of the four because he includes all sorts of references to the prophets and the Torah and to the rituals of the temple. But here at the very beginning of Matthew's story, very Jewish story, are Gentiles, Arabs, kneeling at the manger. And so, from the very beginning, we get a word about inclusivity and the universality of Christianity. It was never meant to be a closed circle of people just like us, the people whom we like or the people who look like us. The first real struggle of the early church was to break out of and away from the confines of race, and nationality and and ethnicity to open its arms to all people. It's an issue that we still struggle with today, right? 
The institutional church seems to be spending an awful lot of time these days trying to define who's in and who's out theologically and morally and politically and which of the sins are worse than the other sins, all the while building higher and higher walls between the church and the world, between us and them, making the circle smaller and smaller until the only ones left inside are just like us. It seems to me that by telling the story of the wise men, Matthew is suggesting that maybe what the church ought to be doing is learning to break down walls and open borders and trust that the love and grace and mercy of God is always bigger and broader and more expansive than our rigid orthodoxy and dogmatism. When it came out a few years ago, I'm sure some of you saw the movie The Nativity Story. I missed it, but a friend shared something that bothered him about that film. He said it gives the idea that the wise men show up at the manger about 15 minutes after Jesus is born. And maybe that's the case, but it's not likely. Christian tradition, as we just heard a few moments ago, says that they showed up 12 days later on Epiphany. And maybe that's the case, but maybe not. In fact, when you piece together all the other information in Matthew's gospel, it could have been up to two years after the birth of Jesus before the wise men finally arrived on the scene. Again, Matthew just doesn't say. All we know is that they follow the star until, as Matthew says, it stopped over the house where the child was, and that's how they knew where to find him. Now, I'm not even an amateur astronomer, but come on. How do you identify which house is directly underneath this star, really? I started thinking about that this week, and I realized that among the other embellishments of this story is the notion of a huge four-pointed star of Bethlehem that lights up the night sky like one of those big spotlights at a movie premiere. Again, maybe it happened, and I'm glad for the Magi if it did, but maybe not. These were professionals, remember. They were astronomers and astrologers who followed stars for a living. This is what they did. And maybe one day, in the normal course of doing what they did every day, maybe they noticed something. Maybe it was a comet or a meteor shower, or maybe it was just a plain old star that they had never paid attention to before. Maybe it was nothing out of the ordinary at all, but just a feeling, a hunch, that perhaps they ought to go check this thing out. And honestly, I like that idea the best. Because when it comes to God sending me messages, I never get searchlights or stars or neon signs. All I ever get are hunches and gut feelings. In the middle of a normal day, ordinary day, I'll have a sense that I need to call someone or I'll run into somebody unexpectedly on my way out of the hospital, or I'll look out the same window I've looked out every day of my life, and suddenly I'll see a situation in an entirely new way. No big spotlights or flashing signs telling me what to do, just a feeling, a hunch. So I kind of like to think of these wise men following a hunch rather than a star, or maybe a star that led to a hunch, because following that hunch changed their lives. I tend to believe that 
that's the way God works most often. Not through carefully engineered plans, but in the places we least expect. The great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. It's a strange fact, he writes, that Christians and even ministers, and I would add especially ministers, that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they're doing God a service in this, but the truth is that they're missing what God has in store. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans. Interrupted by God. I really like that. So when you read Matthew's gospel, one point comes through loud and clear. No one is the same after God in Christ interrupts what they have going on. Levi, the tax collector, leaves the IRS. Peter, Andrew, James, and John leave their fishing nets. The woman with the hemorrhage is healed. The wise men go home by another way. Or maybe they take the same road, but they go home different people than where they were before they arrived, before they were interrupted by God. Maybe this sounds like a strange message to convey on the day that we ordain and install a new class of elders and deacons in this congregation. They're supposed to be our spiritual leaders, right? Focused on the job at hand, the ones with all the answers, the ones who are sure. They're the ones who have their religious acts together, not ones out wandering, following some pie-in-the-sky theory of hope and possibility, right? Wrong. This is a story about how God changes the world by sending a bunch of outsiders to follow a star or a hunch or a feeling to a tiny house in an unimportant, out-of-the-way town to welcome a new king, a new way of being in the world. God's way is about taking imperfect people in in less-than-ideal circumstances equipped with nothing more than a slender thread of faith and a tenacious belief that God is up to something new and then sending them out on a different road by another way. You have elected an outstanding, faithful group of officers. They love Jesus Christ and they love this congregation, but they do not have a hotline to God. They do not have, nor do they pretend to have, all the answers. What they do have, like all the wise people before them, is curiosity and eagerness and a willingness to help us look for and find the new thing God is calling us to, even in the most unexpected places. They're on a journey by another way, and they're willing to lead us, if only we will follow. Like the wise men, We're all looking for a glimpse of something holy. We all want to be changed. We've all been to Bethlehem too, and our lives will never be the same. And so as James Taylor puts it, maybe me and you can be wise guys too and go home by another way. May it be so for me and you. Amen.